Hey there! We're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskaspo. Oh, well, guys, it is official. Uh, we are going to Nashville. Um, wonderful place to visit. Uh, been there a couple times and it, it's just a ton of fun. Uh, Music City Bowl for Northwestern as we take on Kentucky. Uh, nice little battle of wildcats. Yeah. First time for Northwestern in the Music City Bowl. Uh, been to cats played in at Vanderbilt a few years back. I think there was some pretty good showing for that away game, which was ultimately a cats victory, but, uh, the first of many victories to come over, uh, James Franklin, but, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm stoked, uh, mostly because this is within driving distance of me. It's within driving distance of Chicago. I think, uh, Northwestern can get a really good, uh, turnout in terms of the bowl crowd. We usually do, but. Uh, for me, I think this is pretty exciting. Just, you know, a new spot for the Cats to go, a very winnable game, a chance to get 10 wins. We're going to talk about a lot of this. I think a lot of NU fans are um, feeling disrespected by the Bulls, which, uh, I mean, whole hum Like, this is this has been our lives for however many years now. But, um, yeah, all in all, frankly, I'm pleased. I, It's funny. Between that, uh, what you're talking about, and – me reading Sports Illustrated's most recent power rankings, their post-regular season, post-championship <laughs> week power rankings that called Northwestern the biggest surprise in college football. I just, I feel like we need to kind of toot our horn a little bit, a little bit of Westlot Pirate uh, self-congratulatory back padding here, because first of all, we all called that we were going to win either nine or ten games this year, um, and if anything the least chalky thing about this season to me is the fact that we blew the Duke game. But the second thing is us and in particular scuzz we're, I kind of felt like we were the only people out in the Northwestern interwebs that knew exactly where we were going and exactly how it was going to shake out and the intricacies of the rules and what everyone was going to do. There's definitely a little bit of kind of, the same reaction of of Herm Edwards staring at that tight Arizona State jersey. <laughs> where where are you from? What? What is this? <laughs> Just like that's a football jersey. It's oh. kind of like yes, this is this is what happens, and we totally mapped it out. Um, the only thing we were waiting on to see, right? Uh, just as Scuzz said, we would be is whether or not a Big Ten team went into the Orange Bowl or not, and. Um, that happened and that meant music city bowl for us. And that's where we ended up. I know there was some, uh, big consternation about us not going to the holiday bowl, the holiday bowl, taking Michigan state over us. I'm not going to get all upset about that. I mean, you know, it, it's a bowl game. Um, whether or not we're being disrespected, it doesn't matter. Let's go to a, let's go to the game. Uh, we're taking on a Kentucky team that is very flawed. A team that's been really soft down the stretch. Um, you know, they started out good. Uh, they finished poorly. Um, and you know, this is a wonderful opportunity for the Cats to go in and, and get a victory over an SEC team. We go to San Diego. We're playing what? Washington State, a team that just l- can light it up in the air. Um, has had a really good season. It's a, it's a game that we're probably not favored in. Um, yeah, San Diego is wonderful. It's a great place to visit. I love visiting San Diego, 
But Nashville is also a really fun place to visit. And, you know, don't sell that short. I, I think, you know, we're going to go down there. We're going to have a great time. And, uh, you know, I, I, it's a game that I think is definitely more winnable for Northwestern. Well, I think we've we've long been fans of the winnable bowl matchup, and that probably goes back to our younger years when Northwestern would go to bowls and get their butts kicked yeah. or lose miserably um, every time. I mean, I you know, the fans that are not excited about this matchup, that, you know, that's fine. I, you know, Kentucky's not a name brand. Um but I, you know, for me, a bowl is much more about the the gathering of alumni, um, the uh, opportunity to you know celebrate the success of the team, and for me, most importantly, hopefully, the chance to get a win. Now that being said, I don't want to go to Detroit. I don't necessarily want to go to Dallas. Um, to me, Music City though is a very reasonable game. You know, LSU and Notre Dame played a played a hell of a match uh, in this game a couple of years ago. Uh, Nashville, like you said, Sammy is a great place. But let me I, I want to step back and have a have a get off my lawn moment, because as a 37 year old, um, I recall the days when a seven and five Iowa team that we beat to head head to head would absolutely have been picked over Northwestern for this Music City Bowl. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's 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 a history here. And, and one thing that that I thought was really, really funny um Tristan Jung put a put a uh, post up on Inside NU saying NU got hosed in the in the selection process, and there was an article. David, uh, uh, I never can pronounce his last name, but David Howe, I believe, um, with the Chicago Trib put up a post saying like Northwestern deserved better, and yada yada yada. I mean, like you can certainly make those cases. You can look at you know Michigan State and our record. You can look at Michigan and their record. Yada yada yada. At the end of the day, Northwestern is getting far more respect now than they have in the past. And the comment that I really want to call out is that uh, Tristan referred to the in, in some of the comments, the back and forth with folks um, at the bottom of the article, he referred to the fact that the the Outback Bowl seems to love Northwestern, having picked us, you know, twice in the last 10 years or so. And uh, and this is this is hysterical to me because you guys will remember will remember back in not only the year 2000 when we were snubbed for Ohio state, but again in 2005, when we were snubbed for, I want to say Michigan state or Michigan, our friend Daniel Hefner boycotted Outback steakhouses for about a decade because of the perceived slight from the Outback bowl, not selecting (laughs) Northwestern and picking, um, much, much easy to argue inferior, uh, teams from the big 10 to go to that bowl. So, I mean, honestly, like, I'd just like to add that I also boycotted Outback Steakhouses that entire same time period, although it was basically just coincidence. <laughs> yeah, you didn't really know it. <laughs> yeah. um, so, I mean, like, the, like, look, we've had a long hit. Like, Northwestern has a small fan base. The, the school has done a really good job of diffusing that negative element. Um, if you look at, you know, the Outback Bowl invites of years past you look at the gator bowl you know northwestern has consistently shown up for bowl games and i don't think that 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 is perceived as a problem for for northwestern as a bowl team any longer um the the problem is that when you're up against a team like michigan that has you know just hordes of fans everywhere in every corner of of the country and the world um it's pretty it's pretty hard to uh to not get jumped by by the likes of the wolverines so at the end of this, you know, I we're all we're all just excited that, that this is a great opportunity for the Cats to notch an, another double digit season, uh, of which this would be what Fitz's third or fourth, uh, third. third I think, yeah, yeah, 
Um, um, I, I believe Gary Barnett only had two. And I, well, and I, I've, I actually crunched some stats of the Fitz era that are, are kind of amazing. Um, and, and I can get to them in a second. It, it's funny though. I mean, I, what, what I think is funny about this whole thing is, um, the, for anyone who's kind of like, oh, you know, we're getting screwed playing like a weaker team or whatever, like there's literally no precedent for that ever happening to Northwestern football. You can you can quibble over what bowls we've gone to in years past. We've always played a good team. Always. Mississippi State is the least good team previously, and that team, you could easily argue, was better than this Kentucky team. This Kentucky team is the worst team we've ever played in a bowl game, and I hate saying that because it's setting us up for a bad situation. Second worst is either Mississippi State or... Or a Bowling Green team that won ten games. Uh, the one thing Northwestern's never lacked for is hard opponents. Whether it be a, a good, a, you know, a great Nebraska team. This is just since you know we were in school. A great Nebraska team, a great Auburn team, a great UCLA team. Um, you know, a great Texas A and M team. We're we haven't lacked for playing teams that have a lot of firepower. Um, if, what, one know, of my if, one of my favorite stats, if you go back to the um, the the series that went Rose Bowl, Citrus Bowl, Alamo Bowl, uh, we played the the preseason number one ranked team in all three of those bowls. Tennessee right. was Tennessee and was number one that year. I'm, Peyton, Peyton Manning senior Peyton year. Senior yeah. year. Yeah. yeah, no, it's true. Yeah. That's true. So the right no, so I guess my point is right. It's let's try this and see how it is. Like, this is not a situation where it's like, oh, Northwestern playing the Patsy again, playing, you know, the weak, getting a weak opponent. We've never had this. Mississippi State was the first time I think we were ever favored. Maybe we were favored uh, in the Motor City Bowl. It's hard to remember, but we were 6-6 six and six coming into that team, uh, game. And Bowling Green, you know, they ended up winning 10 games that year. So it's, again, like... My reaction was I wasn't expecting this. I mean, first of all, we'd all been talking about, like like you guys were saying, the possibility of a Holiday Bowl and a Stanford or a Washington or an Arizona or potentially a North Carolina State in the Music City Bowl or a Texas A&M in the Music City Bowl. And then it was kind of like, oh, Kentucky. Well, all right. Let's try it against a weak team for one year. Um, and again, well, well, that's that's not saying this game's going to be a cakewalk by any stretch of the imagination. It's just we haven't had this. I was just going to say, John, this comes with a giant, like being favored comes with a gigantic asterisk. And that's that this is a SEC team that pretty much won every game it was supposed to win this year. You know, you can maybe debate the Florida game that they lost by one point. Yeah, I'll, I'll debate that. Sure. Uh, they also lost to Old Miss uh, at home by three. But outside of that, you know, they lost on the road at Mississippi State. They lost at Georgia and they lost to Louisville. I, I, I don't know that this team is as horrible as they look on paper. Um, I think it's a good matchup for us, but but cat, the Cats cannot be complacent or, or be thinking about this. The team better not be thinking about this as, oh, finally we get to play somebody easy. So I, I'm looking at their schedule and, you know, what is what's their best win? Is that uh, week three against South Carolina? It's for sure South Carolina. Uh, Missouri. The win against Missouri was pretty good. But, but So let's take this as an avenue, though, to kind of get into this SEC, SEC East, because there's there's so many 
moving parts to this season. I mean, first of all, there were, uh, what, four good teams in the SEC this year, and then a fifth Mississippi State that you could argue was good before Nick Fitzgerald got hurt. Um, and what's really weird, so there are a couple really weird things about this SEC East season. The first is Florida and Tennessee were both historically bad this season. So you had really mediocre teams like Missouri, who would not have been bowling, was able to beat both of those awful teams, I almost think in back-to-back weeks, and that got them into a bowl. On the flip side um, of Georgia, South Carolina, Kentucky, and Missouri, the top four finishers in the SEC East, none of them played Alabama or LSU, and only two of them played Auburn in the regular season, and both got smoked by Auburn in the regular season. And like you guys were saying, the best SEC West team South Carolina played was uh, Mississippi State, and they lost. And the best SEC West team Kentucky played was Texas A&M, who destroyed them. Um, so it's it's a really weird year in the SEC East. Um, could and, could you, know, you argue the same thing about the Big Ten West, absolutely, though, to a certain degree? Absolutely. I mean, we we got destroyed by Duke. And Duke is margin. I mean, they're they're maybe between where Northwestern sits and where Kentucky sits. But then, I mean, like if I look statistically at where where Kentucky falls, like in the S and P, you know, S and P plus rankings from Bill Connolly, they're somewhere between Minnesota and Nebraska. One of those teams took us to overtime. Uh, the other we annihilated. So I, I mean, <laughs> th- this season's been really strange for the Big Ten and for Northwestern as well. I can tell you what that Nebraska game and that Duke game had in common, though. Us playing really badly, which I guess well, we carry I mean, over and Brett, say, like, we better not do that against Kentucky. I, I, your, your point is well taken. Uh, <laughs> hey, guys, since, don't play like crap. <laughs> since, since you took me there, I must bring up the Northwestern Bowl hype video, which is not quite a The Room level unintentional comedy, but it is rife with unintentional comedy. Literally half of that is showing Northwestern's offensive, I mean, uh, off-season conditioning and preparation program. And I, I just feel like they should have cut to one shot of McCall and Fitz watching the offensive line being like, so, I guess we're going <laughs> to learn how to win in September again, huh? All right, let's do it. <laughs> like, since we are America's slow starting team of the past several years. Maybe don't lean on the off-season program too much in the video, but um but yeah. No, I I mean your point is your point is well taken. Right. I mean, Kentucky's still an SEC team. They still finished 3rd in the East, which 10 years from now when people look back at this, everyone's going to be really amazed that Kentucky finished as high in the East as they did, I guess when things regressed to the mean, but um but yeah, I mean you you can't take an SEC team for granted, of course. So let's let's talk about this team a little bit. Um you know, I, I we had had a bit of a chance to to look at them. Uh, you know, they have given up more points than they scored. You know, they give up twenty five or they score twenty five point eight points a game. They give up twenty eight point six. Um, you know, their average yards uh, we outgame them by about fifty yards a game. Uh, we prevent about seventy five yards a game uh, fewer yards than they do. Uh, you know, they're they're big. Weapon is uh, their running back, Benny Snell Jr., who went for uh, 1,300 yards and 18 touchdowns. Yeah, I mean, he's been their their primary back 
you know, most of the season. He, he carried 30 times against Louisville, picked up 200 yards. He was um, over 150 against both Tennessee and Ole Miss. Uh, tended to do a lot better at home. Um, I mean, you know, conceivably his his offensive line played better in those in those cases. Really was, you know, a no-show against Mississippi State, but that's probably more about the fact that uh, Kentucky ran so so few times in that game because they had to, to shift to passing because they were down. But overall, this is this is a team that likes to run even more than Northwestern. Um, Northwestern actually, when you when you when you break down the advanced stats, we run less on on standard run downs than the national average. Kentucky runs more. Uh, both teams are about the same in terms of their run pass mix on passing downs. So we can expect Kentucky to be a run first team. I think. You know, we we've seen that Northwestern has really good success against that. Um, the the S and P rating for Kentucky's offense uh, from on the rushing side is in like the the low fifties and high sixties. They're not particularly impressive. What's a little more concerning to me, you know, their passing game not very explosive. Uh, okay, efficiency. Um, they're just they're they're maybe you know top half uh, uh, of of FBS, if you will, uh, in passing. But what worries me a little bit is they do have a really large receiver core physically. Um, Garrett Johnson is, is far and away their, their top receiver in terms of catches and stuff, but Taven Richardson, Blake bone, great name, uh, and CJ Conrad, their tight end, all those guys check in at six, three plus. And that's the type of receiver that's given Northwestern difficulty in the past. Uh, these guys do not have great catch rates outside of the tight end. Uh, uh, Richardson and bone are hovering right around 50%, which is not great. So, um, the, the cats, you know, generally I like this matchup for, for Northwestern in terms of, of the Kentucky offense, the, the, the quarterback, uh, that we're going to be facing Steven Johnson is not much of a dual threat. Uh, he's had 20, 26 sacks on the season. So, um, Gastown and team, uh, you know, get ready to, to potentially have some fun this game. But that receiver court does give me a little bit of pause just in terms of a matchup issue for Northwestern that has been problematic in the past. I think, you know, another interesting thing to look at for Kentucky offensively and defensively is, is a lot of people have talked about the fact that whereas we come in on the seven game win streak, Kentucky is in a little bit of a, you know, they've lost three of their last four coming in and, it's kind of an interesting thing to look at because on one hand, their first half of Kentucky's season definitely schedule-wise was way easier than the second half of their season. I mean, the second half of their season, they had to play Nick Fitzgerald, Jake Fromm, and Lamar Jackson, all of whom torched them. Um, and But on the flip side, too, I mean, you could look at um, Kentucky played Florida's defense and they lost, you know, they lost by one, but they scored 27 points against Florida's defense, which, you know, Florida has had problems over the past couple of years, but they tend not to be related to defense. I mean, that team still is fielding a lot of blue chippers on the defensive side of the ball. Um, and we're especially Florida was playing for a heck of a lot more at the beginning of the season than they were at the end of the season. But then on the flip side, I mean, if you look at um, the Mississippi State game, but I mean, like four of their last six games. Um, they gave up boatloads of points. Um, Miss Ole Miss, they only lost by three, but they gave up 37 points, 57, 55 to Mississippi State, 42 to Georgia, 44 to Louisville. So, I mean, they're, it, it kind of smacks of a team that, I don't know, like, maybe, I don't know what it was, but I think, you know, 
they had things a little bit together a little bit better early on in the season when they got that South Carolina win as late as the Missouri win that Scuzz talked about. But down the road, I mean, it's it's definitely they can be completely outclassed on both sides of the ball. And I feel pretty confident in saying that our defense is going to show up like our defense will fulfill that part of the bargain. Um, and based on their performance of late, now obviously you have the whole bowl layoff, but I think they're going to struggle to move the ball against us. And then the question, you know, turns into, you know, Clayton Thorson, this is your chance, buddy, because you can see, you know, the great quarterbacks that Kentucky has played exactly how much success they've had. And, and you know, if we get that Clayton Thorson, he could really have some success. The the best comparative for their defense um, statistically is probably Maryland. So, yeah, I mean, the, 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 the wins are definitely in our favor in this matchup. <laughs> I know. We're all, like, knocking wood furiously. But, I mean, it's it really is. I mean, I we've played a lot of really good teams in bowls. But, I mean, like, who would you – would it be the Mississippi State comparison? I mean, that, that Bowling Green team. But, I mean, first of all, I mean, that was a really good Bowling Green team. Um, but, I mean, I – you know – then, then it immediately jumps up in class, and and we talked about Snell, but I mean this team just doesn't have a lot of firepower like that. Yeah, they're 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 not explosive, and it, you, like I talked about the big receivers, right? If you think about the Michigan State game, and I, I'm forgetting the name of their just super duper receiver that that emerged this year, but um, he was a matchup nightmare for Northwestern because of his size, his leaping ability. Michigan State is a big play team. They are they are an explosive big play team. Kentucky is not that. When you when you break down the stats, they do not eat up huge chunks of yardage. They um, are much more of a of a intermediate to short passing attack type team that's not super efficient. So, despite you know my concerns about the physical matchup, the you know schematically again like things look things look rosy for the Cats. I don't know how much stock you put into. Uh that their coach is Mark Stoops, uh, you know, Bob Stoops' brother, um, you know, comes from a pedigree of, of great coaching. Um, I'm not sure how much you, you can really read into that, but you, you know, he, Stoops is a good coach and, you know, he'll, he'll get him going. Again, I keep coming back to how strange of a year. I mean, I, with Kentucky, with this team, it's, it's so funny. Like, I mean, they, they get the win over Vanderbilt. They get, you know, any any season you're like, yeah, this team has wins over Florida and Tennessee, but those teams were three and thirteen in the in the SEC this year, and you know your your Kentucky's going to lose those games most years. But with that being, I mean, that boosted Missouri up two wins, it boosted Kentucky up two wins, boosted South Carolina up two uh, wins. Kentucky did not beat Florida. Oh yeah, that's right, not Kentucky, but but everybody got the little bump right, and um, it's it's just funny. I mean, I. If Kentucky were to beat us, they somehow would pull eight wins out of a season where they did not have an eight-win football team. I mean, if you look, if you factor in how bad Tennessee was this year and how bad Vanderbilt was this year, uh, you know, beyond that, they have wins over Southern Miss, Eastern Kentucky, Eastern Michigan, and all of those games were close. <laughs> so it's uh, you know somehow this this feels like a team with a losing record, but but here they are. So I, I want to move on. Um, you know, we so we have plenty more time to break down this game a little bit further. Um, we should probably talk about the the rest of the bowls and kind of how championship week led into that. Um, hey, hey, before before we go there, can I yeah. ask you guys one question? 
Yeah, Do go you ahead. think there are any players on Northwestern's team that um, are, were at risk of not playing in the bowl game by choice? It would. I mean, I. God, so Godwin would be the only say, one I would it, think of. It would be Godwin and Kyle and drag those two guys away from this game. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, and, and, I, and I don't mean to say that I, I'm not going to be one of these people to be like, the guy's got to go and, you know, that's the manly thing to do, blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. no. That's absurd. Go, go if you're going to go. Don't if you're going to go. Like, that's your stock. I just feel like Godwin being the number one, I just, I just don't see that guy doing it. I just feel like he is all about, you know – he is drinking the purple Kool-Aid and he's all about playing in his final game. Um, you know, the interesting one would be, I mean, if anyone would have the right, Justin Jackson has certainly given at the office. Um, but, <laughs> I, but, but, you know, what's one more <laughs> on top of, of the pounding that that guy has taken? Well, um, I, I, to your point, like Godwin, Godwin's the only guy on the team who I can think of whose draft status could potentially go the wrong way. You know, like Lancaster's a guy I think has a really good chance of getting drafted. Um, it, but later rounds, uh, same thing, you know, Godwin, but Godwin could be, you know, a fourth rounder, maybe even a third rounder kind of, you know, kind of in the, in the area where, where Ibrahim Campbell went. I, is Hardage a senior? No, no junior. Okay. Hardage is a junior. I don't think we've got anybody else. that's like likely to likely to jump. So, um, yeah, it seems like that's probably the only risk. And and I bring it up cuz you know Derwin James who's who's the superstar safety at Florida State said he's not going to play in the bowl game. Uh, he's going to you know prepare for the draft. He wants to protect his health. Makes a ton of sense, especially good, good for him. Game. Absolutely. I mean with the, yeah. with the <laughs> tire fire that's going on at Florida State, I mean, why would you stick around for the bowl game? I mean, they're playing in a crappy bowl with an interim coach. Absolutely. Go Hell, go get, I give him go get credit for the draft. First, I give him credit for suiting up against ULM after his coach skipped town. Right? Yeah, seriously, right? Although maybe and, that's less on Jimbo and more on Florida State, but whatever. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll get to that. Uh, so yeah, want to talk about um, kind of how the the bowls you know lined up, and you know the thing that everyone is you know all the talking heads are you know all upset about is you know Alabama versus Ohio State. Um, you know, Alabama gets into the playoff, you know, having not played in. The SEC championship game, having not won their conference, having not won the SEC, Ohio State beats an undefeated Wisconsin and, you know, falls just short. You know, I, I could see both ways. You know, if, if they would put Ohio State in there, okay, gotcha. Ohio State won the Big Ten. Um, you know, they, they have a couple good wins. Uh, you know, they looked over the, the big warts of the, the two losses. Um, you know, the Iowa won most, uh, glaring um so I, I i wouldn't have had a problem if they put ohio state in i don't have a problem with them putting alabama in you know alabama has the one loss on the road uh yeah they got beaten by auburn pretty good but uh that that was their only loss do they have a signature win no they, they really don't and that's fine but if you're ohio state and you're you know bitching and moaning that you're you got passed over guess what don't lose by 30 points at iowa sorry so two thoughts. First is that I, you know, I've I've been I've been I've had a lot of takes about Alabama and the playoff over the last three weeks, and they've gone from I think two weeks ago I said I'd take eleven and one Alabama over thirteen and zero Wisconsin any day of the week, 
And then last week I was confident that, that Alabama was out and that they were not going to be able to get in. Um, I'm with you, Sammy. I kind of don't care. I think this is, I, I, I think these teams are a little bit hard to distinguish from one another. And honestly, Ohio state is in the identical position that Penn state was in last year. Granted, there's not a head to head matchup, but Ohio state got blown out by, by Oklahoma. Nobody wants to see that rematch again. So, so sorry, Buckeyes. Like you, you can't, you can't defend your selection last year. Uh, and maybe, and maybe not the year before either, if we're being totally honest and, and, and then be, be pissy about what happened this year. The other thing I'll mention is that John, you get a ton of credit because four or five years ago, whenever this whole four team playoff was uh, was announced and laid out, and the logistics were spelled out, and there was no requirement for conference champions. You said, and this is darn near a quote, that everybody thinks that that this new fourteen playoff is going to prevent the the Alabama LSU national championship from happening, and they couldn't be more wrong. Uh, if anything, it makes it more likely in the future, and you're spot damn on. Yeah, we haven't seen uh I'm still waiting on my Boise State ticket into the college football playoff. Yeah, it's it's uh UCF, you know, Cinderella standing right there and ain't no one giving her a ticket to the ball here. Um I I will say so I have two thoughts on this. The first is uh in terms of the reasoning and everything you guys just laid out, I I totally agree. The difference is I do care. Um, because, uh, to, to loosely paraphrase, I forget what movie this is. There are two kinds of crazy. There's the guy who takes all his clothes off and, and runs all over somebody's lawn. And then there's the guy who takes his clothes off and runs all over your lawn. And Ohio state's the guy running on my lawn. (laughs) Alabama's some team I watch on TV. Have fun sitting at home, Ohio state losers. Uh, that's, that's my first half. And then the second half is I, I do enjoy the human element of um, of the committee here, which is when in doubt, if Ohio State and Alabama play, Alabama wins most of the time. And I think most reasonable people think that. And Alabama easily, you know, like if Ohio State gets in, everyone's like, that's the fourth best team in this playoff. And Alabama, you're like, Alabama, I think really what people are thinking is, SOB, they're going to win it all now as the fourth team. And like, that's, that's the difference between those two teams. And I think with that human element, you, you allow for a certain level of common sense for people to be like, well, look, if their resumes are about the same, then pick the team that you think would win. So, you know, looking at the the final four, you got Alabama and Auburn in a rematch of last year's, the last two years, national championship games. Uh, They're playing in the sugar bowl. And then you got Georgia and Oklahoma playing in the Rose bowl. Um, you know, yeah, Alabama probably is the favorite to, to win it all. And, you know, until we see otherwise, I I have no problem saying that, but you know, it's not by any stretch of the imagination. Is it give it to Alabama right now? I mean, I could see scenarios where all four of these teams could win. Oh, for sure. I mean, we've, we've got ample videotape to see how the Clemson Alabama game can play out, uh, a high scoring shootout to, you know, decided by a, a razor thin margin seems like a pretty good bet. Um, it'll, it'll be pretty interesting though, because I still feel like one of the funny things is two of the teams in this playoff have quarterbacks who have gotten so much hype 
Jalen Hurd and uh, and Baker Mayfield, obviously. But then you've got Fromm and Bryant, who I feel like, I mean, those two guys at the end of the day may be better quarterbacks. I mean, we don't know. But they're, it's just kind of like Clemson especially, considering how much hype Deshaun Watson got the season before, they seem to be just as good of a team this year, except, you know, without nearly as much hype at quarterback, but it's not like they're not getting great quarterback play. So it's kind of funny. I I think what's interesting about Clemson to me and and being the defending champs, not, you know, having probably the best overall regular season record of these four teams. May, may, I guess you could maybe argue about, about Georgia or Oklahoma, but, but, you know, Clemson is number one for a reason. What's interesting though you know, Miami kind of stumbled at the end of the season there with, you know, losing their last two games, especially how, how bad they looked against Clemson in that final. Um, they played Auburn the first week of the year when Auburn didn't look very good. Uh, certainly Jared Stidham wasn't in sync yet with the team. Um, their, their defense was solid, but their offense was, was really in like not even out of neutral. And, I don't, you know, Florida State, Louisville were both down this year. I think I think Clemson is maybe as uh, as untested as Alabama, and that's a really interesting angle. That usually your number one team is m- much more established in terms of their track record. And I think when you when you step back and you look at what what Georgia went through playing uh, at Notre Dame, playing Auburn twice. And when you look at Oklahoma's run through Ohio State and TCU, I it's just a it, to me it's a really balanced field, and I think any I, I really think any four of these teams could could come out on top. Scuzz model kind of likes Alabama uh, in in a very very slight win over Georgia in the final, so we can watch people's heads explode if that comes to, comes to, to fruition, and we can expect at least a sixteen or eighteen playoff in the in the next three years. Except the the problem is I don't have an issue with Alabama playing Georgia because they didn't play in the regular season. I mean, if if this is the whole, you know, we saw LSU and Alabama, you know, play, you know, they're in the same division. Blah, 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 they shouldn't be playing for the national championship. That's not the case here. I mean, there, I, I had no problem. You know, Georgia was easily the best in, in their division. And Bama was, you know, they, they lost to Auburn, but, you know, Bama's Bama. They didn't play each other. So I don't have a problem if those two play each other for the national championship. I, I don't have a problem with it. I just, I don't think the optics are going to be, I think the, I think the college football, electorate if you will is going to uh especially the media are going to going to throw their collective toys and especially if i'm jim delaney or you know the acc or big 12 or pac-12 commissioners i'm thinking like this is this is no better than what it was before like like there's supposed to be you know equal opportunity for these for these not equal opportunity for these conferences but like None of those guys are going to be happy to see two SEC teams in the championship game, and they're and and none of them are happy to see two SEC teams in the playoff either. And of course, it's it's specifically the SEC. Ain't nobody complaining if it's like Wisconsin and Ohio State making the playoff. It's just mm, well, I, I mean, a lot of people I mean, would complain. Well, people people in the I, I I don't mean this particular Wisconsin or Ohio State team. I just my point is that like 
SEC people are just sick of the SEC in general in a lot of different areas of the country, and like that's a big part of it. Like I think if if the a conference that had gotten two teams in was not the SEC, you know, I I, I just think that colors it a little bit. But again, I you know if the goal is to get the four best teams in, these are the four best teams, and you know it might not always be that way, you know, every particular year. So. Um, I just think you know, they're, I think there rapidly is going to become a money problem where one conference being left out every year is one thing, but it starts to be two conferences being left out, and God forbid there be a year when three major conferences get left out. Um, that that I think is untenable. From I mean, look at the Big Twelve, right? The Big Twelve fell apart and almost ceased to exist because of. Uh, the inequity or the or the the imbalance in terms of the money Texas was making versus everybody else, and if if the college football playoff starts to go down that path, I think um, some people with a lot of power influence are going to have some major issues with the way it's constructed. And you know that, that's probably a discussion for another time. You know what an eight team playoff might look like. Um, I, I saw I saw one. I forget who said it, but you know get rid of conference championships and replace that with the eight team with with the first round of the playoffs with eight teams um and you know the money difference may not be that significant you know when you look at uh i guess there were five power five conference uh championships and if you got rid of those five and put in uh four playoff games i think you know there might even be a little bit more money in the four playoff games there and um yeah, so that that that's an interesting way to to look at it, and um, we can visit that more a little bit down the road. Uh, do want to just you know briefly look at kind of some of the rest of the bowls? Uh, was there anything that jumped out to you guys as boy? I can't wait to watch that. I'm psyched for UCF Auburn only because obviously the only reason UCF isn't in the playoff is because of the the view that. They haven't played anybody at all, which is the best teams UCF have played have been some pretty good teams, but obviously three quarters of their schedule is is pretty creamy frosty. And on the flip side, you've got Auburn, who it seems like has played everybody. Um, and I just, you know, you'll really find out because Auburn, we know exactly how good they are. We've seen them stack up against the very best and it's going to be a, a real test for UCF, but we're going to find out exactly what UCF is made of. And as just UCF, by the way, shout out to Central Florida University and shout out to Scott Frost and maybe a tiny shout out to Nebraska. But nope, 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 he's is Frost is going back to coach the bowl game. He's got no reason to. He's taken a job at another place, but everyone is good with it. And I just love that. I love that Frost wants to go back. I love that UCF is welcoming him back with open arms. I love that UCF was happily wishing him happy trails after the game. It's just, that's the way it should be. A coach puts his heart and soul into a school, really works hard, is really broken up about leaving, uh, and then and the school feels exactly the same way and that they're able to carry that relationship away from their shared time together, which almost never happens in this cold-hearted business. But... Uh, but it's it's just cool. So anyway, I'm psyched for that one. I had no idea he was coming back yeah, to coach. No. That is awesome. It's so cool. It's great. It's I, it's it's really great. I saw the tweet um, where where they they basically thanked him and said, you know, 
congratulations on going home and like like i mean kudos to ucf because i think i think they understood very uh they were very self-aware of of their place in the college football pecking order and also where they were two years ago as an Owen 12 team much ballyhooed on this podcast because john you you bought them for zero points in our little game last year i wish um, i would have bought them again this year. <laughs> <laughs> uh but I just I it in in a in a world that is about as unself aware as possible at times, um, this is a real breath of fresh air and, and I gotta give, you know, I we, we poked a little bit of fun as, uh, at Frost over the last several weeks as the rumors of his departure became um just so obvious, right? And I, I don't envy his position. I'm sure it was very difficult for him to walk the, the line that he felt like he needed to walk uh, to continue coaching his team. And, and who knows what he told them behind closed doors, but it seems like it seems like he said all the right things behind closed doors. But the moment for me was when they, they asked him after the game, after the, uh, the AC championship game about going to Nebraska. And he said, you know what, I'm going to go celebrate with my team. And he walked off. And I just, I got to give a lot of credit to the guy. He didn't, he didn't try to sugarcoat it. He didn't, he didn't try to, to spin anything. Um, who knows? He might've gotten emotional if, if, if he had tried to, I guess uh, reports are, this was a very difficult decision for him, but I just thought that he put his team and his players at the forefront of this, the whole, the whole way through. And, um, kudos to him. What's crazy is like I've saw backlash on against Togman Che for even asking that question. It's like, no, no, you have to ask the question. And you know exactly, you know, he's gonna try and dodge the answer. But I thought the whole exchange was as classy as it could have been. Um, you know, McShay was like, I, I don't wanna ask you, I have to. And, you know, Frost, like you said, was just I'm gonna go celebrate with my team. And, you know, he's like, the team like this has been done for a couple days now at this point, right? I mean, the announcement is coming out in the middle of the game. He didn't accept the job in the middle of the game. I mean, this has been, you know, boiling for a little while. And he said, you know, in his mind, the first people I'm going to say publicly, I'm going to tell, I'm going to tell the players. I'm going to tell these guys who have gone to war for me. And that's who I'm going to, you know, communicate this to first. Immediately after that, yeah, all the questions you want, that's fine. We all know where this is going, but you know, I, I have to, you know, give it to you know, my boys first. And you know, when I heard that he was wanting to go back and coach the bowl game, and that Nebraska was cool with it, and UCF was cool with it, I, that's just, that's awesome. That's just so cool. I mean, that's it's the kind of guy you want coaching your team too. And, and, and as since we all are alumni of a school where a guy who played football, uh, got the chance to take the only head coaching job he'd ever want. Um, it seems like frost kind of feels the same way. And, you know, especially with this crazy flipping carousel where it seems like no job is sacred now and guys will happily leave, happily go happily leave a place like Florida state, which should be like the be all end all job, you know, for another destination. If the price is right, Um, $75 million is, uh, I'd leave Florida state for that. Oh God. I just, I just, I mean, it's, it's just frost clearly loved UCF so much that the only job he was going to take was the job that clearly in his heart of hearts, he just felt like he had to take. 
because he loves Nebraska so much. And it's just like a guy who's just so full of love and passion about these two programs. It's just like Nebraska, I'd be like, my Lord, this guy is, we're going to have to drag this guy away from the football stadium. Like, yes, go with God. Coach one more game at your school because <laughs> obviously you're going to give 150% for us. I sadly think they're going to get hammered by Auburn, but that's uh... – that's for another day. Um, a couple other matchups I'm kind of excited about. I'm just going to rip through a couple couple tidbits before I get to the one that I'm really looking forward to, and that's um, the the only thing redeeming about Michigan and South Carolina in the Outback Bowl to me is that we're going to get to see that Jadavian Clowney yes! uh, play, highlight play from several years ago where he just destroyed the Michigan running back and created a fumble, and it just like it was epic. We're going to see that on repeat for the next month. Um, Miami versus Wisconsin. Could two teams with – more different personalities be playing them each other in a bowl game. Um, I don't know that that's possible. And the fact that it's in Miami gardens, Florida, uh, that one, that one should be, should be at least entertaining on, on, on all the service and the buildup around it. Um, I hope this Miami team does crazy stuff like the old Jimmy Johnson teams did uh, in the lead up to this thing. Uh, but then the one that I'm really looking forward to is the, the cotton bowl USC versus Ohio state, uh, a great matchup between arguably the, the the two teams that would have gotten in had we had a 16 playoff uh, instead of just the four. And I, you know, it's a little hard to know what the motivations will be like, especially for Ohio state who, who, you know, is, is certainly upset that they weren't in has been frankly to, to my eye, a, a pretty inconsistent team this year, especially in terms of their, um, I'll say production from the quarterback position, not because I, I don't think it's all on JT Barrett. I don't think his coaches have, have done him a lot of favors along the way. And then USC that had so much hype and potential at the beginning of the season uh, fell down a bit, but has managed to, you know, claw their way back to a bit to a PAC 12 championship, but looks like a much different team. I mean, at the beginning of the year, people were talking about Sam Darnold for the number one pick. And now I think pretty much everyone agrees that he ain't coming out. Um, for the NFL draft or, or if he does, he's, he's, he's certainly not worthy of a number one pick at this, at this standpoint, he has so much more growth and development that he needs before, before he's ready for the next level. No, so he's going to, he's going to go to number four to Denver. <laughs> oh boy. Um, but so like this game is, you know, two monster teams, um, absurd levels of talent on both sidelines and a lot of intrigue and and kind of mystery around what we're what we're actually going to see in terms of both the uh, the focus and motivation and ultimately the outcome. This isn't one of the big ones, but I'm 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 definitely interested in North Carolina State Arizona State just because there's probably going to be some sort of pregame press conference where someone's like. Yeah, uh, Coach Edwards, I'm from Wolfpack Weekly, and he's like, whoa now, wolves, what's this all about? Uh, oh, my God. Oh, boy. Uh, watch, folks, watch that video if you haven't we'll, we'll, heard. We'll talk, we'll talk coaching carousel here yes. in just a yes. second. But uh, um, let's let's run through some of the, the other Big Ten games that, that's going on. Um, you've got the... Foster Farms Bowl, which is Purdue versus Arizona. Um, so I, I mean, excited for Purdue. Like we, you know, we thought they might be better this year. They certainly were. They get to this bowl. Um, they've got a hell of a tough matchup in Arizona, but I, you know, they're not in Dallas. They're not in Detroit. They're not in, you know, some weird Birmingham or, uh, 
uh, or other, you know, odd location for a, for a bowl game. So kudos to Purdue. Um, I, I'm, I'm really glad we're not playing Arizona. I'll just say that, but, uh, excited to see if, if Brome and company can, um, can bring some firepower to this game and, and not to, not to win for the big 10 over a tough quarterback and a tough opponent. Yeah. You know, at first blush, you want to say Khalil Tate is just going to go bananas and Arizona is just going to roll in this game, but there are a couple caveats, right? Um, Purdue won six games, but they should have won eight. They somehow blew that Rutgers game by two and they lost by Nebraska to one. And they were definitely a better team than Nebraska. Um, so this is a team that could have won eight games and made its bones with defense all year. I mean, this is a team that gave up 17 to Wisconsin, 14 to Rutgers, 25 to Nebraska, and then, you know, held Iowa to 15 points. Um, we only scored 23 points against them. They, I mean, held a bad Illinois team to 10. But, I mean, it's like they make their bones with defense, and it's don't just assume that Arizona is going to roll all over them because Purdue's defense is better than that. Uh, earlier in the day, you've got Iowa and Boston College at the Pinstripe Bowl. Um, I I loved how Iowa was just so upset that they got passed over for the Music City Bowl, and they should be in Nashville. And blah 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 blah. Shut up, Iowa. What, what's their what is the what possible case could they have? They they travel better than we do. Oh, that's not. Well, maybe it is. I don't care. Yeah, it doesn't matter. We beat them. We were two games better than them. Suck it up. I mean, they're going to New York. John, you were there last year. It, it's it's a fine time. It, sure, it might be a little chilly, but it, it's a good bowl. Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be a Boston College mob scene, I'm sure. Boston College has the benefit of proximity there. But, oh, yeah, I mean, I, it was it's an awesome place to watch a bowl game. Super unique. I mean, for the Iowa fans who are going to get to to make the trip to to be able to go to New York City for uh, a bowl game is awesome. But yeah, I mean that's that's ridiculous. And uh, like like as Scuzz alluded to earlier, it's we've for for anyone who's complaining now, at least we've put together the bygone era where that clearly some of these Iowa fans are thinking back to where they're like poop team could like leapfrog a team that was several games better to get to a better bowl. This is uh, this is a good moment to remind folks that. Unlike many, um, many a Northwestern fan or many a Big Ten fan who, once bowl season comes around, feel like they really need to root for the conference, we do. We feel no such obligation, <laughs> and uh, I believe I'm guessing here, but I'm but I'm guessing that all three of us will happily root for Boston College in this game over Iowa. Absolutely. Well, I'm a New Hampshire boy too, so you know BC. I've got no particular hatred for BC. Uh, the Holiday Bowl is Michigan State and Washington State. And, you know, I, I know we talked earlier. I feel like that's a bullet dodge for us. Washington State's pretty good. They really fell apart down the stretch, though. I, I mean, maybe maybe it was the competition, but I guess, you know, they won a very tight game against Stanford. They won a tough game on the road against Utah, and that was sandwiched around losses uh, at Arizona, at Washington. They lost at Cal, so maybe it's maybe it's just, the, just that they had holy holy crap! Five of their last seven games were on the road. Yeah, they played all of their home games early. That is weird. Um, so maybe 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 I'll step back from this a little bit, but I just I feel like I feel like this Michigan State team, if if they've not they're not at the stage that Michigan State teams of the past 
you know, we're at, this is not MSU is back. The Spartans are back or anything quite like that. I think they've still got a, a long road to, to go, but they've got a, they've got a solid defense and enough weaponry and offense to cause Washington state some, some problems that Washington state does not have D. So this, this might be a pretty good, uh, game between contrasting styles. Yeah. It's weird. I think one of the other things is there's, uh, a heck of a lot of time between then and now for Mike Leitz to go somewhere else before the bowl game. And that's all still got to shake out. And I guess we're going to get there, but um, it, it's funny though, because this is one of the best Washington state teams you'll ever see. And on the flip side, it's not one of the best Michigan state Spartans teams you'll ever see the, that record. like Scuzz said is, is um, they're a little bit of a paper tiger. And I feel the need to add my omnipresent asterisk here that, yes, I called them to be really bad this season and they won nine games. Um, so I, again, I don't want to see like I'm crying, sound like I'm crying over spilt milk, but this is a team with real offensive issues playing a team that does not have offensive issues. One thing I wanted to bring up about Washington state, because it's a specific problem. And I believe Washington, Washington State, and USC were all afflicted by it, was they all lost a road game uh, follow... I think it was... They all lost a... Oh, what was it? A Thursday night game or Friday night game on the road following a Saturday road game the preceding week. Just a horrible scheduling brain fart by the Pac-12, where... They're a couple of their best teams had to play back to back road games with only like five uh, games in between and just went out and lost those games and looked bad doing it. And the Pac-12 commissioner even, you know, actually came out and was like, yeah, we really screwed this up and we're not going to make that mistake again. Um, so so you got to kind of got to factor that in. But, yeah, I think Washington State is the best and, and kind of a unsung Washington State's defense is OK and. I don't envision them having a heck of a lot of problems with this Michigan State they, offense. They can't cover Felton Davis. That's true. They, I mean, that's they have, that's they the have, main thing. They have no answer for him. And unless, I mean, they they can rush the the the, the passer if they can get after Lewerke, who's you know as we as we saw kind of tough to pin down at times. If if they can disrupt him, I think they've got a, they've got a good shot at shutting Michigan State down. But they have no answer for Davis. Uh, not wanting to go too deep into uh, previews of these games because we got a, still have a lot <laughs> lot to talk about tonight. We're Sorry. excited. <laughs> We're excited. What can we say? Um, we'll 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 have our previews podcast in in the next few weeks, and we'll inject it into my veins. Boys. I know. I know. I love bowl season. <laughs> Um, but just you know, briefly touching on on the rest of the Big Ten uh, bowls, uh, you mentioned uh, the Ohio State USC game. Uh, th- that'll be a lot of fun. Washington Penn State in the Fiesta Bowl. Uh, you talked about Wisconsin Miami in the Orange Bowl a little bit, and you mentioned Michigan South Carolina. Um, you know, th- there's there's some there's some fun ones there. I'm definitely interested to see uh, Washington and Penn State. Um, yeah, you know, how how good is Washington? You know, they won some pretty big games, and you know they looked pretty good down the stretch. And Penn State, you know, it stumbled a little bit down the stretch, but uh, you know they're they're still a pretty solid team too. So that that should be a lot of fun. Yeah, the big X factor for Penn State is that Joe Moorhead will not coach Penn State in the bowl game. Um, he won't be coaching Michigan Mississippi State in their bowl game either, but. That's a um, 
that's a giant red flag for me because James Franklin seemed just inept offensively until Moorhead showed up on campus two years ago, and it'll be very, very interesting to see what happens uh, with this with this team going forward. And maybe it won't come to to, to bear in in the in the bowl game, but come next season, etc. Yeah, I just I'm really interested to see where where that goes, despite the talent that they will continue to to bring to campus. And that actually leads perfectly into uh, our next topic of the evening, and that's the ever spinning uh, coaching carousel. We talked a little bit last week how just nuts it had been to that point, and and then it got crazier. It got even crazier. Um, you know, you, you mentioned Joe Moorhead going to Mississippi State, taking over for Dan Mullen, who went to Florida. Uh, Great hire by Mississippi State. I, I, you know, I think that, you know, you like you said, just said, Eric Moorhead did some really great things with that offense at Penn State. Um, you know, he he was you know really really good coaching at Fordham. Um, he he made Fordham an FCS powerhouse. Yeah, and I, I think that's that's a solid pickup for Mississippi State. You know, good for them. Um, Ole Miss, while kind of avoiding the really, really harsh, uh, sanctions passed down from the NCAA. Yes. Uh, you know, their seniors will be able to transfer, um, without having to sit out a year, you know, what with their two year bowl ban, but it wasn't the big, you know, smackdown that I think a lot of people thought, uh, they go ahead and make Matt Luke there. Uh, they remove the interim tag from him. Um, can, can we be honest and say that they converted the two-month interim tag to a two-year interim tag? Yeah, no, that's fair. I mean, this th- this poor guy is going to get fired the moment those those sanctions expire. Yeah, probably. I mean, I, I the the one aside I'll add from and Sam mentioned it. All you need to know about this these sanctions is it's probably going to mean Shea Patterson is going to be at Michigan soon. And yep. that's a, that's a big deal. Cause he's really good. I, I think two other like top uh, Ole Miss players are, are looking to go to Michigan too. So that'll be, that'll be interesting. Um, see the, you know, the big one uh, we mentioned earlier, Jimbo Fisher taking the, taking the money and uh, running to college station, Texas. Um, thoughts. So I was, I was pretty vocal about, um, just the, just not believing that Jimbo Fisher would have interest in doing this, uh, over the last few weeks as, as the rumors were, were flying. And it just, I, I, there is, there is nothing about Texas A&M that makes it a better job than Florida state. Um, and I guess that's not quite true. There's, uh, uh, an absolutely mountain of money that can that can make it a better job than Florida State. It's that oil money. As as my as this has evolved, my my thoughts on it have shifted a little bit too. And I I think ultimately where I come down is Florida State are moronic for allowing this to happen. And 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 the reason I I say that is that supposedly there was infighting and bickering around you know, request that Fisher had for facilities and this, that, and the other thing. There's one caveat, and I'll throw that out there at, at, at the end here, but this is this is a case where a, a relatively proven football coach took over for an absolute legend and has been successful. That, that never happens. That never, 
ever happens. Not at a, another single program. Um, you know, remains to be seen what Justin Fuente can do at at Virginia Tech, and someday we'll see somebody try to fill Saban's shoes and Urban Meyer's shoes. But it has never happened, and the the fact that not only did he do well at Florida State, but he won them a GD national championship. And for them to, I don't think they drove him out, but for them to bicker with him about this stuff in a year when Florida State is bad because their quarterback and their best player got injured and lost for the season, I I think you can quibble about, you know, whether he kept coaches and should have fired them or lost the team or that sort of other thing. But ultimately, Florida State is stupid. The one caveat is if there's stuff that we don't know about around player discipline, and specifically I'm thinking about Jameis Winston, if there's like residual stuff where, you know, Fisher's pulling strings behind the scenes and it's not something that we know publicly, but the Florida State administration is like, look, enough, dude. We, you know, we we carried this bag for you, uh, you know, to get you through the Winston years and we're, you know, we're not ready to give you the, the keys to the armory yet. That's the one caveat that I'll give Florida State credit for if they kind of drew the line with this guy in, in that sense. But otherwise, they're just dumb for, for allowing this, this situation to fester in this way and allowing him to get away. I, I totally agree. If, if, and first of all, there totally is Jimbo Fisher dirt. <laughs> <I'm> sure, <laughs> I have no doubt I'm about sure it. I'm sure there is. The, the question the is how que- bad it is, right? Right. The question is how bad and how much does Florida State care about it. I do think it's like, and that that may be totally legitimate. You're right. There may be extenuating circumstances. But for the love of God, Florida State, don't throw this pity party about how Jimbo made a bunch of facilities demands and you didn't want to pony up. You're Florida State. What were you, putting in a new science building instead of something <laughs> like that? Like, your thing is being good at football. That's literally your only thing. And the idea that you'd let someone like Texas A&M outthing you in that way is is just so bizarre to me. I mean, that's uh, and, and you know, I think there are some things where obviously, you know, post um, Jimbo's national championship, we've seen the rise of Clemson and there's probably some hand wringing about that. Um, and now Miami is sort of coming back for a little bit. But I just, I mean, I, the flip side of it is Florida State should always be willing to pony up the cash for facilities or whatever because this is their brand. I mean, you're talking about one of the best brands in college football, and they should be doing anything to protect it. And um, and on the flip side, from Fisher's perspective, you know, anyone who's listening to the pod for a while knows that I have this really big thing in terms of evaluating the top jobs, which is what is your access to talent? based on where you are and the tradition of your school and who else in your conference has the same access to that talent. And no one but Miami can match Florida State in the ACC. Texas A&M, there are a bunch of teams in your area, especially Texas, but also Alabama or LSU, who can legitimately legitimately, uh, call a trump card on you in any recruiting battle. You have no such qualms at Florida State. It's you and Miami year in and year out. And yes, Clemson is good. Run- uh, no, but but I mean they're not in your. Oh, conference. sure, sure, That's sure. That's what I mean. Um, and and it, you know historically, Clemson hasn't been there. It's you and Miami, and that means if you're up and Miami's not up as high as you are, the ceiling is a national championship every year. And uh, Bobby Bowden proved that for what was it, fourteen straight years where they finished in the top four. 
every year for 14 straight years. I mean, it's like that's the ceiling of the program and that you would give that up, uh, you know, to go from, you know, five or six million a year to go up to eight million a year. I, you know, I just don't get it. I think there's some real parallels between Florida State, Tennessee and Nebraska, all whom forced out uh, the either a legendary coach or um, the uh, heir apparent to that legendary coach in the case of Frank Solich. And in the case of Tennessee and Nebraska, Nebraska may have finally come home to something good. I mean, it remains to be seen, right? Like we, you know, there's, there's other no brainer hires that have struggled. Um, Harbaugh, uh, that that we all thought would have been a lot more successful by now. So who knows what Frost is gonna is gonna do or not do when he gets to to Lincoln. But in in the case of Tennessee, they're still floundering in the in the post Fulmer area, uh, and and Florida State, like 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 I mentioned earlier, they successfully navigated the succession from Bobby Bowden, who not only did what you just described, John, in, in terms of dominating uh, college football but put the entire school and program on the map and Florida state. I heard, you know, the solid verbal guys put this into, into perspective when they said that Florida state hasn't had a real coaching search in 40 years. I, I think, I mean, Willie Taggart, who, who has taken over this role now after having been at Oregon for one year, South Florida for a couple years before that, I, everybody thinks a lot of Willie Taggart. And I think he's probably a good, fundamental coach especially on the defensive side of the ball i think he's he's in for um a lot of trouble at florida state i i he just hasn't had to live in this kind of of fishbowl and with these kind of expectations and if he pulls it off if he if he manages to to get the florida state train rolling again with a healthy deandre francois next year and and all that talent in south florida and he or in in, in florida overall and, and he's able to leverage his connections and his history and his background there, um, more power to him. I just, I think it's a long shot. And I think Florida state might be entering a situation where, where they're, they flounder for a bit to, to, to find their way out. I, I do want to throw on a tail that, and not that you disagree. I know you agree, but I, I do want to say after however many, what was it? 40 years or whatever with the good old boy college football coach <laughs> followed by a guy who was basically a clone of the same guy. They went and made an, a minority hire and I give yeah. them yeah, a, yeah. a lot, a lot of props for that one. And they didn't, and, and no hesitation either. And right. I give them, I, you're, you're spot on John. That is, that is well worth noting. And, um, and commendable that uh, that I don't I don't think it even crossed their minds, and you right. certainly haven't seen the reaction from uh, you know the Florida State fan base or boosters etc. that you saw when when Texas hired Charlie Strong. And the flip side, you've probably got Tennessee being like, "Why the heck couldn't we get Willie Tacker?" <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I've got I've got some breaking news on Tennessee that I want to get to in a second. Um, I just quickly run through uh, Central Florida replaces one. Uh, national championship quarterback as head coach with another one, uh, bringing in Josh Heupel um, to take over for Scott Frost. Uh, I think this is Heupel's first head coaching job, but you know he's been well thought of in, as an offensive coordinator for a little bit. Well, well, I mean, he got fired by Oklahoma two years ago. Okay, from that OC role. So, so never mind. But, we... but 
we we sort of took issue with that as it happened, though, and yeah. we're, we were praying that we would snatch him up as soon as he was let go. It's true. Um, I think we did talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and, and who knows? Like, that's, you know, I, th- I think I saw somebody say that that's sometimes the best thing that could happen to you is getting, you know, fired from a job like that where you have to sit back and reevaluate and assess, like, wow, what did I do wrong? How do I need to be better? Um, and when you get a second swing at it, you're, you know, you're that, you're that much improved as a result. Uh, you got Chad Morris leaving SMU to take over at, at Arkansas for Brett Bielema. Um, because uh, you're probably a little bit more suited to, to speak on Chad Morris. So Chad Morris was, was offensive coordinator at Clemson during the Taj Boyd years and, and maybe, maybe Watson's first year on campus. Um, but then went, went to SMU and took over just a smoking crater of a program um, after June Jones uh, resigned and has really built it up. Um, You know, the headline on ESPN is, you know, why does a guy with a, with a six and 14 record, you know, why did he just get a, a, a big, a big pay increase and and a huge increase in in job pedigree. And and the reality is that everybody sees, uh, has seen Morris as a rising star for a number number of years now. Um, I did, I did. I have seen SMU play a couple times um, over the past several years. Back when I was in Dallas, and they actually came through Cincinnati. I saw them earlier this season, and it's they actually look like a real football team now. Um, they they did not look that way several years ago. And Morris brings, um, if nothing else, a a creative energy and a a innovative energy to to the offense in, in Arkansas and. I don't see how else you can survive in that conference except by being, you know, something different and something um, cutting edge because the 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 powerhouses of LSU and Auburn and Alabama that you're up against, you just you're not going to beat them by being a traditional, um, you know, pro style uh, pro style team. So I think it's a good hire. Um, I, I think it's a it's a tough, tough, tough job, and we'll see how he does in it. Well, it's because you talk about traditional hires, and I will posit that the next team we're going to talk about has made probably the most untraditional hire that you can speak of. And I we mentioned him earlier in the show, and that's uh, Arizona State hiring Herm Edwards, uh, who hasn't coached in college for 20, 30 years, and oh, even then, goodness. barely. Um, he's coming in. He intends to run the program like uh, like an NFL team. Uh, have like a general manager. Um, you, you mentioned John. You mentioned earlier the uh, his opening press conference, which was just insane. Um, like I'm not. Like, I think I'm still not convinced that he knows what the mascot of Arizona State is. Um. He kept all, like, all of the coordinators, all of the other staff, uh, for Todd Graham's program are still there. They're not going anywhere. They're, they're staying under Herm Edwards. Um, this is a train wreck waiting to happen. I just, I mean, like, if, if you're looking for a silver lining, I, I mean, he's, I don't think, I think he, he, he didn't have to take the job, right? He had that sweetheart deal at ESPN and he could just, you know, if they're good, he's not going to leave. Um, he's probably going to stay for a while, probably too long, uh, you know, health-wise, if things play out. On the flip side, you have these things of, like, 
him. Like, let me juxtapose this, right? Jimbo Fisher gets hired at Texas A&M. And you know what the first thing he did? I was reading about this today. The first thing he did, he sought out all the top Texas seven-on-seven coaches and immediately started taking visits to all these guys, which is just a state of the nation of college football right now. It's like these top programs that want to recruit, they, it's, they're not kissing the high school football coach's butt right now. They're, they're, coach, they're kissing the seven-man coach's butt. It's like AAU football, right? And then juxtapose that with Herm Edwards holding up a jersey, being like, this is a girl's jersey, isn't it? And they're like, <laughs> no, it stretches Herm. <laughs> and him just being like, what? Like, I expected him to pick up a helmet and be like, but where's the leather flaps on the side? <laughs> like, where does... <laughs> like, my God, you were coaching like eight years ago, dude. Like, it's... You're, it's not the fifties, but I, I mean, I don't know. I, there's so much that's so weird about this situation. Um, first and foremost is that Arizona state was seven and five this year. And it was considered to be a bit of a bounce back season. And I generally the reaction of their fan base to the, to the firing of Todd Graham was WTF. Um, I, I don't, they didn't, nobody expected that. Um, Frankly, I don't know if any of us expected Graham to last as long as he did at Arizona State. Like in that you remember he went to Pittsburgh for one year and then and then jumped ship to go to ASU, which just seemed really, really strange to begin with. So I mean subtext here is that Ray Anderson, who's the athletic director at Arizona State, used to be Herm Edwards' agent. And I mean, to me on the face of it, this is just very clearly like, hey, I wanted to get I wanted to give give my my guy a chance to have another job and um, and to try his hand at coaching and to do it in this in this form and I don't care about the guy that I'm letting go and the the whole when he fired Graham Ray Anderson even said like I expect the the next coach I want him to keep on all the coordinators which is really strange to begin with too now recall one of those coordinators Phil Bennett came from Baylor so. Uh, maybe he's uh, a bit of toxic commodity that nobody really wants to hire, but it, it really, I mean, like you read between the lines, it's like, does he just hate Todd Graham? Like you listen to them, like maybe there was bad blood there. It, it, there might've been, it, I mean, it might've been a Bo Pelini type situation, but at the same time, I think it probably more like he just love, loves Herm Edwards. What's stunning to me though, watching the, the, the two little video clips that are out there of, of Herm kind of, not understanding that that Devil's Digest is um, like a Sun Devil fan, <laughs> uh, like local media entity, and um, and don't tell me that he was just joking around because he, it was pretty clear he didn't he didn't quite make the connection when that question was asked. Um, and then the, the the kids jersey thing that you mentioned, John, like has has Herm Edwards been on a football field in the last ten years, or has he just been living in the ESPN studio? He just seems so out of touch, and I. The, the the best comparison I can make is Lovey Smith at Illinois, a guy that, you know, had this NFL pedigree, was seen as, a, as you know, a known commodity, a name that people would recognize and would be able to recruit that, you know, would immediately, um, ca- you know, be able to capitalize on, uh, uh, on on the fact that people know who he is, etc. That has not gone well for Illinois. And, you know, Name name the top NFL coaches that operate as GMs and don't have hands-on roles with their teams. I'll wait. 
And another interesting thing about Lovey is, you know, he had just gotten fired from from Tampa, you know, so he was, you know, still coaching. <laughs> he coached in the last. He coached in the last year or so. And when was the last time Herb Edwards was a coach? Ten. Well, not years only ago, that, at least. Lovey Smith. Lovey Smith won a Super Bowl. Not no, only, not won a Super Bowl. No. Went to a Super Bowl. Lovey Smith went to a Super Bowl. He was a good coach with the Bears. He had success in the NFL. Herm Edwards never had success in the NFL. You play to win the game. Well, that's that. That's what Arizona State's going to be doing now. That's for <laughs> damn sure. Um, and then I, I mentioned some uh, breaking news. Uh, just seeing a report that um, Tennessee offered their job to Jeremy Pruitt, defensive coordinator at Alabama. So uh, apparently, did he say yes? Well, yeah. Apparently, <laughs> they're they're working to finalize the deal right now. Um, we. I don't have confirmation that a yes was made, but because uh, I think I think when we last podcasted the the Shiano stuff had gone down, but what what we didn't know yet was that Tennessee then proceeded to offer their job to like twelve people, um, all whom said no, and the twelfth who was Mike Leach was preparing to say yes before Tennessee canned their athletic director and maybe Philip Fulmer was behind a lot of it, sabotaging negotiations as things went along, which, um, I, I mean, I don't know. I'll, I'll, until they introduced Jeremy Pruitt at a, at a press conference, I don't know that I'm going to buy it. Fair yeah, enough. I agree. There were, there were times where I was sure that Mike Gundy was taking this job. I was sure that Mike Leach was taking this job. Yeah, but you're right. I mean, like Pruitt, you, I mean, this is a, a dream offer for him. I mean, I, you know, he'd be a fool not to take it, but we'll see what happens. I think that's kind of it on the, uh, the big stories of the coaching carousel. Obviously, there's a few more shoes left to drop. Uh, what with uh, Oregon needing a coach, um, all that, you know, Nike money just sort of sitting there. Um, you know, I can't wait for the NFL to poach two or three college coaches. Yep. Uh, there, there, and then in, there's in, the, the second round, which is coming. Oh my God. It's going to be so great. Um, the one thing I'll, the, the one name that's out there that I just think is, is pretty fascinating is Kevin someone who did, I mean, did measurably better at, at Texas A&M than anybody else who's been at Texas A&M in recent history. And I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't fault A&M for firing him, especially because they thought they could get Jimbo. Um, but he turned down Tennessee. He said he wasn't interested in a, a handful of other jobs as they've popped open. I, my guess is he's got his eye on something or um, perhaps he's just, uh, but you know, perhaps he wants to wait a year, take a year off and, and look at the, you know, the, the pieces on the board next, next season. But that to me, that is a, um, a, if not a plus type hire that pretty much any school could make right now. I also saw a report that had Mike Riley going back to Oregon state as the defensive coordinator. That'd be interesting. Oh man, that'd be a, I feel bad for that. I feel, I guess the, I guess the head coach is his former quarterback. So maybe that would work. Yeah. Uh, so I, I do want to quickly pivot to a little Northwestern basketball. Um, you know, we, Talked a little bit a couple weeks ago about this little taste of the Big Ten that we had in early December. Uh, that didn't go... I mean, it went okay for the Cats, uh, beating Illinois 72-68 in what was a very entertaining back-and-forth game. 
and uh, then dropping a game on the road to Purdue, uh, 74-69, a game that was also very back and forth. Um, a game that Chris Collins had some things to say after the game, especially regarding the disparity in foul shooting. Uh, you know, Purdue's got a big man who they were just pounding it down low. And, you know, our we took a lot of fouls. And on the other end, we shoot a lot of jump shots. We don't really feed... Uh, Pardon down the low all that much and you know it's much rarer to get fouled on jump shooting than it is when you're driving lane or uh playing on the block so that is one explanation but 24 to 5 it was the free throw differential yeah it's you know it's it's kind of weird where this season is right now because you've You've got two of the last three games have just been heartbreaking losses. Um, the Georgia Tech game and the the Purdue game. Um, and, you know, Collins, we'll get into it and I might, you know, I'm going to talk about it a little in my final thought. But, you know, Collins didn't really handle himself that well after the Purdue game. Um, you know, whether that disparity was warranted or not. Um, but on the flip side, we came really close to beating a good Purdue team on the road, which would have put us two and zero in conference. So it's, you know, obviously people have you know are really wringing their hands. But the flip side of these rough losses is the team statistically has one bad loss to Texas Tech and then three narrow losses, all of which may be to to good teams. And you know, it's it's there's so much basketball left. I mean, we're about to go. After this little, like Sam said, this early snack, we're about to play four pretty weak teams in a row. Uh, Chicago State, Valpo, DePaul, and Lewis, and then go on the road to Oklahoma. Um, and, you know, depending on how the Sooners are, you know, we've got Brown, too. We could easily, you know, pick up six wins in a row and be 11-4 and four when conference season starts up again. So it's the team... I mean, if you watch that Purdue game, we were on the, the bad end of it. And I know, you know, people decried the free throw uh, disparity. It was a really good game, though. The announcers talked about it all game. They were like, boy, if this is what it's going to be like all season. And that's what the Creighton game was like, too. And, you know, we can talk about the, the defense and, you know, turnover issues and BMAX had some issues and things like that. But, uh, you know, this team is still capable of playing at a really high level. You know, a couple of weeks ago we talked about um, red. You know wh- how we were feeling about this team and and red flags, and that was you know after the uh, the loss to Creighton and then the blowout against Texas Tech, and yeah, starting to be a little bit of a concern. Um, this team feels like they're under a lot of pressure. It feels like they're 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 playing under pressure, and they're you know the, the on court product hasn't been far off from from what. I expect to see, but I like the team just does not look relaxed. They do not look comfortable in their skin. Collins seems to be a bit on edge, and I just like the the chances of the wheels coming off, um, despite this being a talented team, are are getting a little bit more likely. I feel like. Well, we'll definitely uh, have to see. I know they're off this week uh, for finals, and then as as John mentioned. Uh, fairly uh cupcakey schedule for the next uh, couple weeks before we uh like I said go on the road to Norman and then uh start the Big 10 season in earnest. 
Uh, let's go ahead and leave it there for this week. Um, running a little bit long again tonight. Uh, thanks for sticking with us as we continue our search for the Swoley Grail. So for my final thought, um, as I did last week, I'm going to chat a little bit about our little game going into bowl season. So, um, kudos to us all 15 well i guess we we have some overlap only but, one uh, the 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 teams we all picked are all going to the postseason every single one of them is playing in a bowl game as a result we all have a chance to score five points in the uh in the bowls and unfortunately because sam that one team is overlap between you and i it means that you cannot catch me in the points uh because i have 47 John has 46 and you have 42. So I'm sorry, buddy, but you have been well, eliminated. It happened last year too. So, c'est la vie. Uh, and then, so John, it's you know down to you and I. Well, I guess I guess. Well, no, that is true because there's Sam also does not have any teams in the playoff. Um, I have also been shut out of the playoff. Uh, John's hopes rest with the Alabama Crimson Tide. So. Um, John can actually score six points during bowl season and. Uh, easily mop the floor with both of us so we'll see how this plays out i i just want to say that you know i think this is just karma rewarding me because i've had nothing but good things to say about lane kiffin historically <laughs> and uh, it's just delivered for me this season I, I'm, I'm just <laughs> no. kicking myself i was you know, at the beginning of the season i was flipping a coin between oklahoma and oklahoma state and i chose poorly for my final thought I I want to give a shout out to the guys at Inside NU um, Northwestern's SB Nation page, which is just about I think entirely composed and has been historically of Northwestern undergrads writing for them, and it's exactly the kind of thing I wish we would have had when when you and I were there, or when Sammy we probably would have been writing for this site, and you know, Scuzz, maybe you would have too. But um, it's all young guys, and you know, because we we were sort of being old fogies, snickering at these young whippersnappers. Uh, wringing their hair at the um, at Northwestern getting passed over, you know, by other teams in the bowl selection process. Um, I, I want to give a shout out to these guys because um, when Chris Collins gave his post game press conference against Purdue, he uh, and and Inside NU called it like it played. He appeared to tell a lie, which was I, I think Collins was really mad about. Um, the foul disparity, he really felt that Derek Hart Pardon had, um, you know, been, you know, taking as good as he was giving all night and not getting the calls on the road. And I think he specifically remembered a particular elbow that Pardon had taken. And he told a story about how Pardon was bleeding and getting stitches in the locker room. And that wasn't true. And, um, inside NU, the guys there were, guys and girls are one of the few, um, net, uh, outlets that called it like they saw it and they put that in the headline and they described it as, you know, they were at the press conference. That's how it played to them. And it's good. It takes guts. And I'm sure, uh, these young, uh, you know, journalists had to sit and have a little conference, you know, after the game and be like, you know, well, how did it seem to you? Well, how did it seem to you? Is this how we want to run with it? And, um, those are tough decisions and I give them credit for, for calling it like they saw it in, in the story and in the headline. Uh, for my final thought, I uh, just have a, a quick little bite and then, um, Trevor Simeon watch, uh, congratulations to Loyola Chicago, uh, 
whose Ramblers went down to Gainesville and knocked off number five Florida tonight, uh, 65-59. Um, tiny little school, and you know they knocking off number five in the country. That that's pretty huge. They're not still coached by Tavares Hardy, are they? He's, he's on to, to other passes. Georgia yeah, Tech. He's, a, he's an assistant with Georgia Tech. Yeah, Georgia yeah. Tech now. Um, but for my, my true final thought, um, Trevor Simeon watch continues with the Broncos. Uh, he had another terrible game uh, last weekend against Miami. Um, I, I think the Broncos are just sort of playing out the string. It seems pretty clear that he will not be the starter next year. Um, whether or not he finishes this year remains to be seen. But, I mean, at this point, what does it matter? Although, you know, as, as bummed I am about how all this has went, uh, that doesn't even begin to scratch the surface at the sheer horror I saw today when I, I saw the list of quarterbacks that were going in to work out for the Broncos. Uh, on that list included former Minnesota quarterback Mitch Leidner, and former Illinois quarterback Wes Lunt. No. Just no. 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 As I said to you guys, I think the Broncos technically worked out 10 players today. And I think maybe four were listed as being offensive linemen. Another four were listed as being wide receivers and then two quarterbacks. But if if you're if you're working out Wes Lunt to be an NFL quarterback, you can't convince me they weren't working out the other eight guys to be quarterback as well. I mean, maybe they're like, "Hey, you look fast. Can you run the wildcat? Sure, give it a shot." We're working out Wes Lunt, as you can see. So <laughs> you know, hey, if Muhammad Sanu's throwing fifty-one yard touchdown passes, maybe they're just like, "Hey, maybe maybe we will try out some wide receivers." Ugh. Finally, uh, don't forget to uh, join our ESPN Bowl Challenge. Um, we'll have links to that on the website, westlawpirates.com. We'll tweet out uh, links to that uh, Bowl Challenge. At, at, as always, it's a confidence pool. So uh, be sure to rank uh, your teams in order of uh, your assigning points to each game. Um, you know, you, you've done it before. You know how it works. We're doing it again. It's a lot of fun. We can't wait to uh, get this thing started. And really, bowl season starts up next weekend, which is kind of crazy. Uh, so with that, we'll leave it there for this week. Head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter, at westlawpirates. You can call our voicemail line at 847-231-CATS. That's 847-231-2287. And as always, email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics and look for us in the west lot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm John Lacombe and Eric Scasbo. I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.